it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies and the host of the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. And I am here today to talk to you about something that I don't usually talk about on the podcast. I am not a parenting expert, that is for sure. But I do have children. <laughs> and I have used different tactics and techniques throughout the years to raise my children. And I've also dealt with my own demons about being a mother that felt like she wasn't good enough. And I know these are things that resonate with my community because they talk about it all the time. So chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you either have a mother or you uh, are a mother, or maybe you're an incredible auntie, uh, godmother, uh, grandmother, etc. So I just, I wanted to acknowledge you and I just wanted to say, I know what it's like being a mom. Um, I decided to be a stay at home mom when I had my children. Now I was also fortunate enough to be a stay at home mom. We were living in Switzerland when I got pregnant and well, let me rephrase that. I actually did want to work and I wanted to work in Switzerland and I wanted to work with a company that had good maternity leave policies. And uh, when I was in the recruiter's office um, trying to get a job, right before I walked out the door, he said, are there any other questions you think you're going to want to ask in this interview? So I had a big interview at a bank coming up because my previous life, I was a stock trader. I talked about that on a previous podcast, but I uh, I thought originally that's what I was going to do. I was going to work in finance and I was going to be a stock trader and all that good stuff. And it just was not the career for me. I could have cared less about watching numbers go up and down. I wanted to change lives. So stock trading for me was not the ideal career. So um, anywho, after trying to do lots of different careers, I obviously became an entrepreneur. But one of the reasons I became an entrepreneur was because when I was living in Switzerland and I was trying to get a job at a bank, they basically walked me out the door when I asked, what are the maternity leave policies at this company? So I learned really quickly, Switzerland uh, at that time, and probably still, I'd be surprised if it's any different, at that time did not care uh, very much for women who wanted to have a career and a family, which is unfortunate because in my experience, uh, women who have a career and a family are pretty hot, awesome rocking, right? Like they get the job done and they get it, job, they get it done efficiently and, um, you know, they just get it done. So anywho, um, I, I ended up, uh, I ended up starting a blog in Lucerne, Switzerland, and it was called living in Lucerne. And it was all about connecting myself and other people to each other in the local community because I didn't know anybody. I didn't speak the language. All the websites were in German, etc. And it was a real journey in self-discovery. You know, when you sort of say, well, this is what I want to be. I want to be a mom and I want to have a job. And then to have someone say to you, that's not possible, right? So I guess in some ways I, I did decide to be a stay-at-home mom, but I also didn't have a lot of options. And that is the truth uh, because they did not want to hire a mom. Now, one thing I will say, I did get an awesome job teaching English um, for a company uh, called the English Professionals. And this incredible, incredible woman 
uh, Nina, she ran the company and she herself was a mom and an entrepreneur and she paid really well and I got flexible hours and it was amazing. So I did kind of recover and actually I worked all the way through my pregnancy with my son and I would work at night when Heidi was asleep and it was a really great gig. Um, and I, I even got to go to Oxford for four weeks while I did the Cambridge, um, uh, it was, I had to do a Cambridge certification to teach English as a second language. So I also got to come to the UK and spend a month in Oxford and I, that's when I fell in love with Oxford, which is where I live now. So, you know, things happen for a reason, but the reason I'm talking about motherhood today, uh, is partly as I'm recording this mother's day is coming up in the USA. Uh, it's a funny thing for me because mother's day in the UK is in May in March and mother's day in the U S is in May. And, uh, it's always one of those funny moments where, you know, you're kind of like, which one do we celebrate? And early on in our marriage, my husband would forget the first one. And then he'd be like, Oh, we're celebrating the American one this year, which I thought was pretty funny until the year that he forgot both, uh, <laughs> which I don't think he'll ever forget. But mothers I think are quite special. And, uh, and I deal with a lot of mothers. I help a lot of mothers who have this confidence gap, right? They, they, a lot of mothers will say, okay, well, you know, in the UK, your job will be held for a whole year. So what you do is you take a year out and then you think, oh, you know, actually I'm just going to stay out a little bit longer. And this happens a lot. And then suddenly you've got someone who's been out of work 13 years or 17 years or 22 years. I mean, these are real numbers from real women in my program, my VIP group coaching program, where they literally, I mean, I have a woman who hadn't had a job for 17 years and she just got this amazing job, but you know, it was a big deal for her to get the confidence up with social media to then, you know, be able to have the confidence to go for this job that she wanted and it all worked out. Uh, and of course it's all going to work out. I've seen it work out over and over and over again, but there is a gap and we call it the confidence gap. And I would even call it the tech gap because when you've been out of work for 17 years or, um, you know, or even two years, there is a tech gap that gets created. And along with that comes the confidence gap, right? Confidence with the technology and then just confidence in yourself. Like, can I still do this job? And actually it was Lisa Unwin who wrote a great book called She's Back. And in that book, you know, she talks effectively about, you know, you don't throw your skills out with the bathwater, with the baby bathwater. The skills are still there. And I remember that having a profound impact on me. In fact, if you look at our Instagram feed, you go back a couple of years, there's a picture of me with a whole bunch of baby diapers, you know, like a chain of baby diapers. And I'm, I made that point, you know, we don't throw our skills out with the baby bathwater. We have these amazing skills, even if we're not using them in the same way that we were using them before we had kids. So one of the things that comes up a lot, and I don't, my kids are 10 and 12, and I, you know, just so everyone's clear, I was a Gina Ford mom. Like, you know, I followed the schedule and I loved having the schedule. The schedule gave me so much freedom. It worked great with my kids. Um, it was wonderful to know that, you know, if you feed them before they're hungry or if you put them to bed before they're sleepy, you eliminate a lot of tantrums. And so having that schedule from her was amazing. And I know not everybody likes the schedule, but, but I loved that schedule and I loved that rigidity and it made my life a heck of a lot easier. And it taught me the importance of 
you know, routines and schedules, not just for kids, but for us adults too, right? So that was one tool that was really, really helpful for me. And I have a friend actually who's been interviewed on this podcast. I've been on her podcast, uh, Renee Warren. And I remember interviewing her and she said that she listens to, or um, on Audible, she always works through three types of books. I think one of them was a marriage book. Uh, one of them was a children's, like a mother, a parenting book. And one of them was an entrepreneur's book. So she's always rotating through those three things because her business matters, her marriage matters, and her children matter. And I thought that was really cool. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to just tell you that one time I picked up a marriage book, <laughs> and it was like the worst marriage book ever. And I was like, I don't even know what a good marriage book is, so I'm just going to stop reading marriage books. However, I did I did go back and read one marriage book that I do absolutely love and I recommend to everyone, and that is The Five Love Languages. And so, you know, one thing I will say is with little kids, marriage can get tough. And I loved the five love languages because it helped me through a period of time when my marriage was really challenged. Um, And that had a lot to do with the dedication I was giving to the business uh, over my family. And that's something that I have, you know, really had to to work on the last few years in order to find uh, harmony. And, you know, I don't think balance, (laughs) I'm not sure balance is the right word. I love harmony. I love the concept of having harmony in your home, harmony with your children, harmony with your spouse, harmony with your business, and just creating this harmony. Um, Because harmony means that people are on different levels, but they, they work together to create a beautiful sound right? And I wouldn't class myself as a singer of any sort whatsoever. Um, I have a split uvula, so there's another little fun fact that you might not know about me. Uh, I, a split uvula is the start of a cleft palate. And so I have the little, the little thing that hangs down in the back of your neck and your throat. Mine is split in half. So anyway, uh, maybe that's TMI. But the point is, is that I can't hit certain notes uh, because of this. And so I don't usually sing, but I do have a lower voice. And so when I do sing, I tend to sing the lower part of a harmony. And there are certain songs that I used to sing with some of my girlfriends who were really good singers, and I could harmonize really well with them. So I, you know, I believe really strongly in this concept of harmony, harmony at home. And, um, and one of the, the, the things that I did, in, in addition to you know, the Gina Ford schedule and, you know, I was, I spent a lot of time with my girlfriends, you know, I have to say, I felt if you were a mother in the pandemic, like a brand new mother, that, that is amazing because I, I survived those first few years because I had the church and I had my friends around me almost 24 seven. My husband worked abroad. He was the head coach for Swiss rowing at the time. And he was gone, like, all the time. The first year of Heidi's life, he was gone 180 days. And the first year of Asher's life, he was gone 150 days. And the only reason I know that is I do the taxes. (laughs) And I had to report how many days he was outside of the country. But anyway, you know, he basically, between those two years, he pretty much missed a whole year of their life. And I was on my own. And so what did I do on my own? I leaned into the church, and I leaned into my friends, and I spent 24-7 with them. So I have so much sympathy for those mothers who went through pandemic times without that kind of support. Now, hopefully, 
I know not everyone experienced this, but I think some women experience this where the husband suddenly had this insight into what it was like to run the household with children at home and working. Uh, and I know for sure for a lot of women, uh, their husbands were enlightened, shall we say, as to what goes on in the home during the pandemic. Now in my house, with the pandemic, our business, Tech Pixies, took off because of course people were at home and they needed something to do and a lot of people thought, well this is a great time to upskill and I'm gonna train in social media and I'm gonna launch that business I've always wanted to launch because the only way you could launch a business the last two years literally was online. Uh, using things like social media. So Tech Pixies was super well poised for that shift in the pandemic because we had moved online uh, in 2019. So we'd, we were ahead of the pandemic by one whole year, which meant that when the pandemic came, we literally launched during the pandemic. In April of 2020, we had the biggest launch we've ever had and we have had an incredible number of success stories from that group. Um, we call them Cohort 21. And anyway, shout out to any cohort 21ers that are listening today. Uh, so I, I had a shift in my household where my husband really became the person who was the homeschooler, who was the person doing the laundry and the cooking. And, you know, certainly from a balance perspective, it was not good. Uh, and the harmony perspective was, you know, tricky, right? It was tricky. But we know, we know what this is. This is the messy middle, right? And I talked about that on a previous podcast. Um, but we do have to work towards harmony. And two things that I would say were profound in my motherhood. The first was when my husband did come back from being abroad, um, he ended up finishing his job after the London 2012 Olympics. And he didn't have a job again for a while. And I don't think he had a job again until about 2014. Uh, he went and got his MBA, executive MBA from Said Business School, and that was what he did. And and I was the person that was again sort of the primary, you know, the primary person working during that period of time. And uh, so it was tricky. And and what happened was the kids bonded to him because he was the person that was at home, and really when he was not when he was, so he was away, so with the, with the executive MBA, you're gone 10 days, like every six weeks, so he was gone for 10 days every six weeks, but other than that, he was home, and he was doing a lot of the stuff that I would have, was doing previously, so there was a big shift in our household during those two years when he wasn't working as much as he was previously, right, he went from a full-time job to, you know, giving speeches about the Olympics, um, and, you know, sort of part-time gigs here and there, but nothing major while he was doing his MBA. And the kids really bonded to him. They stuck to him like glue, like a magnet. You know, here he hadn't been there for two years um, in the same way that I had. And then suddenly they were just glued to him and nothing I could do would help. Like they just absolutely loved him and adored him. And I just didn't feel loved. Um, by them and and he was so engrossed in them I didn't necessarily feel loved by him which made life challenging for me because here I was sort of feeling a bit rejected so that's one of the reasons I really leaned into my work and I leaned into the stuff that I was doing um, very heavily because I got a lot out of that and I think this is a reality that probably happens for more men than it does for women so if you're listening to this and you know 
you, you, you have that dynamic in your house the opposite way around, maybe me sharing this story helps you to understand what it feels like to be on the other side. It's not my children's fault and it's not Tim's fault. Uh, quite frankly, Tim's pretty awesome and I am sort of glued to him too. Um, I was joking, we had a night away a couple weeks ago where we took the camper van and we went and stayed at, it was a carp farm in, in the Cotswolds just for one night, just the two of us. And we worked out that it was the only time in our marriage that we spent a night away for our own reason, like just the two of us. Because usually if we go away, it's because we're going away for an event that Tim's invited to or something like that. But we, we had never left our kids with someone to go away for a night just the two of us and it was a big deal and we had a lot of fun and I was teasing him and I was saying like it was really nice to get him all, all to myself I love that so anyway um I so I get it I get why the kids were glued to him he's an amazing father and he's super present he's someone who can be fully there if he's there you know and so I get it it's nobody's fault but it was a dynamic in the house that led me to a point where I thought, well, I'm a bad mother, I'm a bad wife, like, no one loves me in, you know, in that way, and it, and I didn't feel that unconditional love, I just felt a lot of rejection. So, one of the things that, when I became a neuro coach, I realized was this was a narrative that I would, had held on to for a really long time. So, the shift in our household happened when the kids were about two and three years old. And I became a master neuro coach when they were about eight and 10 years old. So this shift had happened in my life for about six years. And I, I know enough about neuro pathways, neurological pathways to know that if you believe you're a bad wife and a bad mother, that's gonna sit with you all the time. And you will actually, it's self-perpetuating. And it's not that I was, you know, a bad mother or a bad wife. But what it was is that I wasn't, I wasn't confident as a wife and a mother because I'd lost my confidence in it. And I got a lot of confidence and, and affirmation from my work. And so what happened was I just got glued to work and was able to just totally shut out. And that was not healthy for everybody, at least you know, at least myself. And I, I described it to my coach at the time. I've always believed in having coaches. I have an amazing friend, Jess Rogers, who helped me start Pixies. And it was in working with her that I realized the importance of bringing life coaching into the Pixies program. So during this time, I was building a totally different business. I was building a web development business. And we had just moved to England. And I met Jess at a party. Uh, and we had this, we just hit it off really, really well immediately. And I realized I needed her support because I was struggling with, you know, my marriage and with my business and everything. I wasn't, my business wasn't making enough money, which wasn't justifying the number of hours that I was putting into it, etc. Like this is a very common problem that early stage entrepreneurs have, right? Their business, they haven't figured out how to make money. They haven't figured out that they deserve to make money, right? There's a lot of stories there. Anyhow, I was definitely in this spiral of needing support and she was brilliant and she gave me the support I needed and that is why we introduced life coaching to TechPixies because I felt how valuable it was to have someone help me um, to 
to realize, you know, what was going on for me as I was in the early stages of being an entrepreneur. So life coaching, huge, 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 huge. Neuro coaching is like the next level, right? And it wasn't until I became a neuro coach that I realized that the thought that I had over and over again was, I'm a bad mother, I'm a bad wife, that was self-perpetuating. And so I didn't have the confidence to be the wife and mother that I really wanted to be. And so I just withdrew and I just wasn't that person. And so I did a brain prime, which was um, basically the opposite of that. So I am a good wife, I am a good mother, and here's why. And I listed all the things that I did that made me a good mother, you know, that I, you know, my kids were um, happy, they were healthy, they were clean, they had food on the table, um, you know, that my husband, I always supported my husband, um, and I gave all sorts of examples of when I supported him, and, you know, I, I gave, that's brain-based evidence, right? So when you rewrite a neuropathway, you have to give your brain something that's true to focus on. And this is the difference, you guys, between listening to affirmations and creating a brain crime. So an affirmation is like, I'm a great mother, I'm a great wife, um, but it doesn't back it up with brain-based evidence. And when you don't back it up with brain-based evidence, say that 10 times fast, when you don't back it up with brain-based evidence, then your brain doesn't really believe it. So you have to, you, when you do a brain prime, you have to rewire the, you have to rewrite the wording so that your brain believes it. So, you know, something that happens a lot, like someone will say, well, I've never started a business before, so where's the brain-based evidence for that? And you go, okay, well, what things have you done in your life that you hadn't done before, right? So did you learn how to speak English? Do you, did you learn how to walk? Did you learn how to run? Did you learn how to swim? Did you learn how to speak another language? So there's lots of, we have lots of evidence in our life that we have done something that we didn't know how to do before. And if you've got any evidence whatsoever that you've done something you've never done before, then you can put that in as brain-based evidence. And your brain, you know, the subconscious does what it's told. It's a really good soldier. It's a really good servant. It is not funny. It is not creative. It is not going to solve any problems for you unless it believes it can, right? So the subconscious does what it's told, which is why we have to identify what our subconscious blocks are so that we can move past them. So anyhow, I did this brain prime, like I'm a good wife, I'm a good mother. And actually, everything changed for me from that point forwards. Um, the brain prime takes 67 days, according to research. Dr. Shannon Irvin did, um, looked at thousands and thousands and thousands of brain scans and at about 30 or 40 days, your new neuropathway is in alignment with your old neuropathway, which means the brain could go either way. But when you go to 67 days, 6-7, then the new neuropathway takes over. And you're not, you don't erase the old neuropathway, it's still there. It's just the new neuropathway is deeper, right? That's the important thing to understand. You can change your brain. And unlike 25 years ago, where they thought you couldn't change your brain after your teenage years, you absolutely 100% can. Your brain is totally plastic. Um, plastic, it, well, plastic's not the right word. It's, it has plasticity. So the best time to do any kind of brain-based work is first thing in the morning and last thing at night because uh, that is when your brain is most plastic, right? Or it's got the most plasticity. Plastic is definitely not the right word. So it's got the most plasticity. So anyhow, I do this brain prime and I got all... Um, you know, I got all pumped up and I really 
leaned into being a good wife and a good mother and it really changed everything. It was a very, very powerful brain prime for me personally. Um, but the other thing, and I, I, this goes back to what I was, why I was telling you about Jess. So I was describing to Jess what it was like to be me, uh, when I was going from the office, which was in, you know, another room in the house to the kitchen. And very often I worked in the kitchen and I said it was like being a frozen chicken, but not like a frozen piece of chicken, but like an actual big chicken. And, you know, we love roast chicken at my house. We have it usually once a week, usually on Sunday, um, especially in the winter. And that's what I mean. It's like a frozen chicken, the full chicken that's been put in the freezer, not that you would ever, ever do that, that comes out and it takes hours to defrost. And that's how I felt. I felt like I could never fully defrost from work and be fully with the kids. However, I could go fully into work and have no issues there, right? So that was an interesting realization. And I really wanted to change that. And I wanted to be able to switch being on with my family on and, you know, being off with work off. One thing that did help was when the pandemic hit, I moved into the dining room which I still occupy to this day because <laughs> we don't have another space for me to move into. Um, we moved into an office three days before lockdown and then we lost the office, obviously. So, um, yeah, I have been in my dining room on the dining room table literally for the last two and a bit years. And uh, my family would really like their dining room back. But one thing I did do was, was do my work there. So I, I stopped doing work in the kitchen and that made a big difference. But the thing that I hear a lot of, and the, and the purpose of this podcast, the thing that I hear a lot of women talk about, especially with young children, especially with young children, is how you manage and, uh, young children around kind of working from home. And it's tricky, right? I know it's tricky. In fact, I, I ended up hiring someone when we could, you know, during the pandemic you couldn't, and now it's sort of post-pandemic, um, you can start hiring people again, but I, I did end up hiring someone to just take my kids for four hours, three days a week, just to give me some headspace to get some stuff done where I wasn't trying to, you know, do it around them because I just found it was too tricky to do stuff around the kids. But when I moved to England, I... I joined a church right away. It was very important to me to connect with a local church. And they had a really great setup for kids. That's one of the reasons why we started at the church. We switched later to a different church, but that's, you know, that's a totally different reason. But they do have a, this one church has a great children's program. So they had a, uh, a group called Wednesday Women. And you could go and get some Bible study time with other women and the kids would play and all the interns from the church would run the play scheme and it was amazing and it was I don't even know if we paid or not I think it was just free but it was just such a great group for me and some of my closest friends to this day came out of that group and we all of our kids ended up at the same school and it was a real blessing in my life but one of the things that they decided to do was they decided to do something called a circle parenting course and I was really curious about what a circle parenting course was and so I definitely signed up because I was up for learning about new things and you know this parenting thing it does not come with a manual uh, and you know there's a lot of opinions out there and a lot of books out there and 
so you sort of have to navigate your way through it, right? So I thought, well, let's do this circle parenting thing because I like the church, I like the group that was running it, and I thought, well, I'll probably learn something really cool. And I did. I really did. So circle parenting goes like this. Basically, your kids, they want a few things from you. They want to be loved. They want to be cuddled. They want to share in delight with you. They want, like, they want to show you something and they want you to be excited about it too. Um, and the other thing that they want is um, like comfort, you know, com- comfort and a cuddle. And, uh, and, and, they, and they want to be able to um, get praise, right? So let's say they've done something really cool. They want that praise. And that's, that's like human nature, right? There was someone, I can't remember who, it was a king. He decided one year, this is like hundreds of years ago, he decided, and I'm probably, I probably got this wrong, so I'm going to let Catherine be awesome and figure out where this story comes from so she can put it in the show notes. But there was a king, and he wanted to know whether, he was like the first psychologist technically, he wanted to know whether or not children could could survive without love. Like, this was an, a real life experiment that he tested out on real life children. And he basically took children and separated them from their parents and gave them no love, and they actually died. It was horrible, you know, but it was an experiment to, that, that proved something, which is that we all need love, and we all need cuddles, and we all need, um, you know, we need to feel loved, valued, and safe. Those are the three things. In neurocoaching, that's what I always tell people. You gotta feel loved, valued, and safe. And if you don't feel loved, you don't feel valued, and you don't feel safe, it doesn't really matter what else we work on with you because those are three fundamentals that you must feel, right? And that could be physically safe or emotionally safe. There's there's lots of different things going on there. But the most important thing is that people feel valued, loved, and safe. So if you don't feel loved and valued, you're going to have missing parts, right? Of There's going to be holes in your confidence because it's it's hugely important to feel loved and valued as a human being. And so, um, so the point of the story, <laughs> let's get back to the point of the story, uh, is really that when when you feel loved, valued, and safe, you're able to make progress. And so children, when they feel loved, valued, and safe, cope better and do better than children who don't feel loved, valued, and safe. And I think that's you know, we, 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 we all know this. This is this is the truth, right? We've seen this in, in children that we are connected to. So one of the things they said in circle parenting was this and that was that when your children come to you and they want to show you something or when your children come to you and they want to cuddle or when your children come to you and they want praise or when you know they said the first thing to do is identify why is this child coming to me and the second thing to do is to give them the attention that they need you know if you figured out okay they're coming in for a cuddle they need a little bit of reassurance okay I'm going to give them a cuddle and a little bit of reassurance and then they go back out and this is the circle part So they come in for what they need and then they go back out. And what they were explaining was the more uh, safe, loved, and valued that children feel. I mean, these are my own words because this is sort of a mix with my neurocoaching. But the more um, safe, valued, and loved that children feel, the the less they circle back in terms of the frequency. The circle gets bigger. They go out on a bigger a bigger circle and then they come back but they do come back and what she said what they said when they were teaching this to us was 
the worst thing you can do with your children, and I mean, I did it a million times before I knew about this. The worst thing you can do with your children is to tell them, just a second, just a second, just one second, just one second, just give me a second, just give me a freaking second, right? I mean, who has not done that? I have totally done that. So um, they said, don't do that. They said, what you want to actually do is you want to give them the time and the attention they need. And usually, in most cases, they do not need masses of time and attention. And that was the shocker to me. What they explained was that you could give your child five minutes of really uh, intense focus and that might be enough in many cases for them to go off and do what they need to do next without needing to come back in for more love and attention immediately, right? And this was mind-blowing because I thought, well, if they interrupt me and I you know, let them interrupt me and if I give them that attention, they're just going to keep doing that all the time and they're never getting anything done. And they said, no, give them the time and the attention they need in the moment that they need it and actually they will feel much safer and comfortable and they will then go off on their own and do whatever they need to do because they've got the stuff that they need. And it was so powerful. So today um, I was talking about circle parenting a couple weeks ago I was talking about circle parenting. I just find myself talking about circle parenting and I think it is one of the coolest concepts in parenting. And so whether you agree with Gina Ford or not, whether you agree with circle parenting or not, uh, whether you agree with brain priming or not, those are three tools that I for sure have used as, um, as a mother myself and they've been very, very valuable to me. So uh, I just thought I would do a little bit of a different podcast here, a little bit of a twist on our usual podcast because usually we're talking about social media because uh, that's what we teach at Tech Pixies or we're talking about dream building because that's what we do at Tech Pixies. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about motherhood. And, you know, I, one thing I will say, you know, that has shifted for mothers just while we're talking about motherhood within the perspective and the lens of social media and also flexible working. You know, years ago when TechPixie started, I mean, TechPixie is going now seven years. When TechPixie started, flexible working was not a thing. Like, it was not a thing. People were creating, uh, starting to talk about it. Mother Pucka was talking about it, um, uh, and quite a few other people were talking about it, uh, and starting to raise, you know, elevate um, the awareness of it. Thank goodness they were. But they weren't getting very far because companies and governments were not prepared to fight for flexible working. Well, guess what happened with the pandemic? Flexible working was the only way we could keep the economy going. And therefore, the government and companies got behind it. I mean, I remember when I interviewed um, the, the guy who ran Twitter in the UK, and he was like, you know, totally against flexible working and part-time working. And suddenly, you know, Twitter's saying, and during the pandemic, well, you never have to come back and work in an office again, right? So amazing how much the pandemic shifted that. Now, it didn't do any favors to women who had jobs that were not flexible uh, or not easily flexible, right? So there's a lot of women, particularly, um, it was not ethnically, um, you know, it was, it was not ethnically equal. So there, there were a lot of women who got really hard hit by the pandemic because they had jobs that they couldn't just do from home, right? And that, that was one of the things that did happen big time. 
Um, and, and the pandemic has hurt a lot of people, uh, particularly women and minorities, well, and low-income people. It, it really affected that group of people. And one of the things that Tech Pixies does is we help women from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. We help women who are 60 plus. We help women who come from BAME and LGBTQ plus backgrounds. We have scholarships um, that we provide uh, depending on someone's financial situation and uh, their ethnic background because we see the gap. There's not just a gender gap in technology, there's an ethnicity gap in technology, and it's major. And we gotta solve both problems, gender and ethnicity. That's what diversity and inclusion is all about, really. And it's a real thing and it's an important thing to focus on. So, um, on that note, the one thing I will say is for women who were able to upskill during the pandemic, they were able to go back into work more quickly as the pandemic eased. And we certainly saw that with the Tech Pixies. We had a lot of women getting jobs um, after, you know, during the pandemic, after the pandemic, every day, you know, every Friday we do this Friday Wins post and we, someone's getting a job every week. Um, and it's a beautiful thing to witness and to watch and to see. So, you know, jobs are definitely available and they are more flexible than they've ever been and the game has been changed. But I will say from the side of social media, one of the gifts that social media, I mean, this is a conversation that I probably could have a really heated debate with someone on. I don't really want to because I don't love heated debates. But social media has changed the game in a positive way on so many levels. Now, I know there's negative sides to social media. There's no doubt about that. You know, certainly with teenage mental health, there's definitely some issues going on there. And with two of my own children who have major addictions to YouTube, (laughs) I'm trying to navigate that landscape myself right now. But what I do know is that for women, social media has been massively impactful. So the Me Too hashtag, which was instrumental in elevating um, and making aware issues of women um, being harassed and much worse in the workplace, that, that was mega. That was mega. That Me Too movement was huge. And the other thing, too, is there's an organization that I follow um, called Pregnant and Screwed, and they highlight a lot of cases where, you know, heavily pregnant women um, were made redundant from their jobs, and, you know, they felt like it was a case of unfair dismissal, which, you know, in many cases, it is unfair dismissal. It's like the recruiter that said to me, I can't help you get a job as soon as I spoke about maternity rights. You know, you could not get away with that these days. Um, not only that, but when I, you know, my Me Too moment, I mean, I, I never had anything major uh, happen to me, thankfully. Um, and I totally sympathize with with um, the women who did and appreciate how brave they were to share their stories. But my Me Too moment was when I was 20 years old and I had a job at uh, Bear Stearns, and the, uh, which no longer exists anymore, right? It imploded when, uh, when the stock market you know, went very bearish in, in, in uh, the early 2000s. But I, I had this job, I was a, a trading assistant and, uh, sorry, I was a trading assistant, but then I was moved over to be a research sales assistant, 
when they didn't have any trading assistant jobs. And all of, all of the trading assistants were invited out to a dinner and none of the research sales assistants were. And I, I thought it was a bit strange because I thought I should be invited to the dinner just like everybody else. And so I go to my boss and I said to him, you know, why haven't I been invited to the dinner? And he just looked at me and he said, well, you'd be a distraction to the married men. And I was like, what? And, and he said, sit down. And I was like, I'm not going to sit down. I said, did you, did you just tell me that I would be a distraction to the married men? And he said, well, you would be. So then I marched out of his office and I marched into the HR office and I said, he just said this to me. And of course, two weeks later, I was made redundant. Now, knowing what I know now, that's a lawsuit. I'd have a big, big check in my bank account now if that had happened to me, you know, years later. So it's incredible to see that something that I just took in hand that I was just going to, you know, that, you know, obviously I'd said the wrong thing and they made me redundant, but the reality is I should have been invited to the dinner. The reality is he never should have said that to me. So, you know, I think whereas my Me Too moment was, you know, subtle in a, in a sense, it wasn't that subtle in what actually would not transpire in 2022, hopefully. So I think, you know, amazing women like Mother Pucka and Pregnant and Screwed, they are doing incredible work to uh, continue to elevate the inequalities for women uh, in the workplace and uh, around childcare, uh, access to affordable childcare. I totally get all of that. And um, I applaud them massively for the work that they're doing. And I know that social media has been a huge tool for them to getting more people to be on board with, uh, with what they're talking about and as they should be getting on board with it. So, you know, just to bring this home with a little bit of a social media twist, because obviously Sparkle and Thrive is all about your dreams, social media, leaning into your vision and your future, um, being, being brave, right? Be brave and sparkle. That's what we care about here. I just thought I'd loop it back to what it's all about. Social media. No, just teasing. All right. Have a fabulous day. Thank you for lending your ear to me. And I have enjoyed sharing some of my personal musings, lessons, mistakes, learnings. If you like these Fly Solo podcasts, can you let me know at support at techpixies.com because I need to decide if I keep doing Fly Solo or if I lean back into interviews. I'm pretty impressed with myself, actually. I recorded four podcasts in one day in my car ride to London and back doing my photo shoot. And I feel like it was a breakthrough for me. Uh, so I, I, I thank you for sharing your ear with me and for letting me have my own little breakthrough, uh, in my podcasting career. All right. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.